Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA. I'm your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Gary Seamus. Gary is currently CEO of Winding River Consulting. Prior to Winding River, which he started in 2015, he actually started and grew SS&G CPAs out of Cleveland into the 37th largest CPA firm in the country. He ended up merging with BDO in 2014, which we're going to want to talk about a little bit today. Gary's also received numerous awards and recognitions. Any lists out there, you see him on these days, you know, um, most influential people in the county, most recommended consultant. He actually was on, I think, uh, Accounting Today's initial Manji Partner Elite list. And so, Gary, welcome to the Unique CPA. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. I've been thinking about this a while and uh, I just reached out to you a couple months ago and I'm glad you were able to get on. So I appreciate it. Let's talk a little bit. I want to get to what you're doing with Winding River. I want to go, I want to get to some hot topics going on in public accounting today, but I also want to get into your history because it's a, I mean, you started from scratch, as far as I know, building this firm SSG, which ended up being the 37th largest firm in the country. And, and do I have that right? This was your baby from the start? Yeah, it was. And uh, it's all history. I mean, we I certainly relearned from history, but the world has changed so much today. I think, uh, the history is not as important, but, uh, you know, um, just to make it kind of short, I mean, I'll be, let me reflect on, you know, some of the really big items that moved us forward. Yep. So we grew to about a hundred million dollar firm before we sold in uh, 2000, actually January 1st, 2015 to uh, BDO. Okay. Of our growth, uh, which is probably not as typical as it is today, 85% of our growth was organic, only 15% was M&A. So we weren't adding on an M&A. But we're also not talking about a two or three or four year period of time. We're really talking about a period of time from 1981 to 2014. So it was over three decades, 33 years. So in those 33 years, uh, you know, we grew significantly. Uh, and I'm proud of what we did. I was in Cleveland, Ohio. I wasn't having a lot of uh, tailwinds. It was headwinds in Ohio and population and the Rust Belt. And, you know, it wasn't like being in uh parts of Florida, Arizona, Texas, uh, where there was just a lot of new things happening. So, uh, and there was a lot of competition. So we did well, uh, not by uh, the economy doing well, but really by taking clients over the years away from competitors and, uh, and growing the practice. There was three things that were really defining when I talk about the practice and what we did from a strategic standpoint. And the three things we did, one of them was geographic, the next one was service, and the third one was a niche strategy. And I know a lot of firms talk about that, and there's a lot of discussion on it. Uh, but we, we really combined all three of those strategies in a way to create an organization and grow our organization. Um, and they all happened at somewhat different times, too. And then they all evolved over time, too. So it was a strategy with an evolution uh, of each one of the strategies based upon different time horizons. Probably the first one that was from a horizon standpoint was uh, uh, really growing our service line. And we kind of got lucky on that. When I first got involved with Firm in 81, we started a payroll company. So from the very get-go, we had a second company, wow. got comfortable with that. And then over the years, we added on to a wealth management. Uh, we added on, we had a, uh, a healthcare consulting company. At one point in time, we tried to do technology that didn't work out too well. 
and other things like retirement administration and then some of the specialty taxes like estate planning and things like that, financial planning. So really the philosophy there was to try and sell more to an existing client with the whole idea. We have a happy client. If we could produce something that's going to be useful to them, fits what we're doing, they're likely to buy it from us versus somebody else. And that was the truth. So we had multiple clients buying all kinds of stuff from us. And it also, uh, there was another derivative from that too, and that was it created a sticky relationship. So before they decided to leave us, you know, hey, I'm doing my retirement plans there. They have my wealth management. You know, what am I going to do? Now, we didn't force them to stay, um, but it just created that. And we didn't force them to buy, but we had a high percentage of our clients who bought multiple services from us. So it was really helpful. And I used to always remember we might lose an accounting client and I'd be looking at a payroll list of clients and see that clients were still doing their payroll. So that was part of that strategy. And today, really what that's translated to is firms looking at these advisory strategies. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, and just, you know, you know, lining up, you know, different services that they could offer. And I think there's a big misnomer out there that I've been really bothering me for years. And that's uh, people equate uh, advisory with becoming a consultant for a client. And there was actually some companies that tried to sell that to firms. And to me, that's not what it is. Advisory is being able to offer additional services, additional advice in different areas, not necessarily you know, changing your skills. And then there's a whole strategy how to do that. You know, and the strategy is either you're going to buy somebody doing it, you're going to build your own company, or you partner with somebody. But uh, we did it. You know, we weren't really the smartest people in the world, but we were good copycats. And what we did was that was really the strategy that the big four was doing. And if you look at the big four today, they're not CPA firms, they're financial service firms. And part of what they do is CPA and tax work. Right. So that was one thing that we did that was really successful. The other was geographic. What happened was uh, we ended up being, uh, Ohio was a little bit different as a state when geography was a little bit more important years ago to practices. And if you think about it, there's very few states that have three major cities, very few states. And Ohio has three major cities. We have our Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. Yep. You go to Chicago, you go to Illinois, they have one city. You go to Indiana, they have one city. You go to Pennsylvania, they have two major cities. So we have three major metropolitan areas in Ohio. And just coincidentally, there was no firm other than the big four that really had outposts in all three of those major cities. So we felt that that's something we wanted to accomplish. And over a period of time, we did. Starting in 1995, we opened up in Cincinnati. Then we made an acquisition in 2000 in Columbus. And before you know it, we had offices, uh, multiple offices throughout Ohio. Then we ended up geographically even expanding more than that after we really focused on the Ohio portion of it. So then the third element was really becoming would be really becoming a niche player. That's maybe what we were most well known for as an organization. And uh, really, that was in 1999. We had made a decision, and the decision was we were going to become a vertical player. We weren't going to be doing everything for everybody. We were going to take our efforts in marketing and education and developing professionals and have them narrow themselves down to give themselves just much deeper capabilities within those verticals. And it was an absolute home run for us. Our restaurant practice went from a startup to the 500 restaurant clients from coast to coast. It was 20, 25% of our firm. We had about five niches we focused on and, and we were capitalists. So if somebody came along and wanted us to, uh, to do something that wasn't one of the niches, yeah, of course we were doing, we weren't hunting for them. 
because we just knew that our, uh, our chances of getting that work wasn't as great. So those three things added together turned out to be uh, really successful for us in terms of the overall and arching strategy growing the firm. So recap that real quick. The first one, what did you call that? I mean, it was the the multiple services to the one client. Yeah, building an advisory practice is the, one of the things we did. The second thing we did is we had geographic expansion. And the third thing we did is we really sharpened and focused on six uh, industry verticals. And then do you think that those three things are key today as firms are growing as well? Is this something you consult on? Yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, the answer is probably not so much with geography. Right. Uh, certainly, I mean, I certainly think people should niche their practices. I agree. You can be so much more successful. You know, everybody wants advisory, whether it's outsourcing or wealth management or whatever. You know, people are focusing on that. What we learned because of the pandemic is geography is not as important. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there as uh, my Cincinnati office, which was the hub of our restaurant practice. We did more restaurants outside of uh, Ohio than we did inside of Ohio by a long shot. And uh, it was hard to do that when we're talking back, you know, 1995 to 2015. It was hard. How do you convince somebody in San Diego to hire an accounting firm in Cincinnati? Right. But today, it's just not as hard to do that. It would have been so much easier to build this practice because using, you know, digital uh, strategies behind it. So, uh, yeah, so what worked? I mean, I'm a big proponent in, in growing advisories, financial service organizations, and also really focusing down on niches. So uh, that strategy hasn't changed. But like I said, the geography is, it's just definitely different because of the way the world uh, changed. Oh, no, for sure. But I, I agree. Niche is something, a topic I love talking about. And that's a topic we've, we've addressed on, on the Unique CPA quite often. And it was great to see you know, you've been in that a while. You started, you've been in the advisory. You you were calling yourself the advisory firm before everybody was that they are now today, it sounds like. So so that's awesome. All right, so let's get into a couple other things. Before we switch out from SS&G, because I want to go into a, a few other things. You also were, you know, probably the catalyst, I'm guessing, to starting Leading Edge Alliance, which is an association of CPA firms. Did that tie into your growth? I mean, do you feel a need for that? Oh, yeah, that, that, was, that was very helpful. It really was very helpful to me um, in terms of, uh, I guess, surrounding myself with some very successful people and some uh, people I learned from and we all learned from each other growing up. The brief background on the Leading Edge Alliance is... Uh, I guess I couldn't keep a job. And what happened was we were a member of another alliance. And, then, and I had this idea when I was a part of this alliance as to how to really make something that could be very beneficial to the constituents. And I tried to sell that to the group I was in and uh, it really became ugly. They didn't like the fact that I was being, I was pushing them. And uh, if you ever read my book, it was a really ugly part on my book. It happened on my birthday, May 2nd. And we got thrown out of this association uh, unexpectedly and really wasn't right and fair. So uh, uh, we were small then. We maybe were a $2 million firm or something like that, $2, 3000000 million. But anyways, uh, we got thrown out. And then what happened was uh, we really felt that we needed to be a part of one of these as our practice was growing nationally and internationally. We needed to have these resources. So I asked my partner, Bob Littman, I said, okay, let's do it again. But you be the key point guy. You know, I'm just too critical of these people. And you be the point guy and, uh, and I'll stay away. So we joined another group. I don't even remember the name of it. And for about a two-year period of time and about a year into it, Bob asked me if I would come and do a presentation to the group. It was, and it was in Dallas, I remember. 
So I went to Dallas, I did a presentation in the group, and I was so, um, the firms that were in it were just so unimpressive. Yep. And so I'm going to Bob and I'm saying, Bob, this is ridiculous. I mean, what are we going to learn from these people? I mean, it, it, they just they didn't have the light, their lights on. So um, I had this idea, you know, well, if I, if I can't join one, maybe I can make one. And we had just like such incredible, perfect timing. You know, timing sometimes is a major factor. Yep. You sit back, what kind of timing could you have? Well, the timing that we had was starting in the 70s. These associations were starting to be created in order to be competitive with the big eight. Now you'd be in Cleveland, Ohio, and you have a client that has a warehouse in Los Angeles, and it wasn't economical for you to go and do an inventory observation. So you create an alliance of firms and there's an LA firm and you have them go do that work for you. Or you have a tax matter in another state, or you could, you could use some political help there or whatever. So um, these firms were realizing that. So in the 70s, they started 20 years later, what happened was there was about a dozen of these firms out there, the largest alliances. And they all started with firms that were similar. But if you look 20 years down the road, what you had is you had firms, you had some were really successful, became the lead firms in these organizations, and some of them stayed small. So rather than it being, uh, it was no longer a homogeneous, it became very heterogeneous in terms of the uh, firms that were involved. So me with uh, two friends of mine who I had known from the AICPA MAP committee that I used to chair, uh, I talked to them about this idea and uh, they agreed to help me. And what we did was, is we started going to some of these alliances, friends of theirs, friends of mine and saying, hey, does this, this make sense for you? And they were all kind of like, you know, it really does. I mean, what's happened is at one point in time, I was taking from those alliances and now I'm just giving, I'd like to be able to take. So we created this alliance. We, uh, we raised a little bit of money. Um, I hired a person to help me who used to be at the ACPA, who did a wonderful job in getting us going. We ended up uh, having a, a meeting in Cleveland, Ohio, um, in uh, maybe in August of 99. And uh, at, yeah, at that meeting, uh, there was 15 firms or 16 firms, and we talked about it, but everybody had till September 30th to say whether they were in or not. And of the 15 firms, 14 of them said they would go forward. Wow. So they all gave me a little bit of money. And then what happened is we had enough money to hire Karen Kell Rose, who became our initial, uh, she ran the organization for, for two decades, did an amazingly great job. She was, yep. Yeah, so everything kind of came together. And then if you go back and you look at some of the firms that were in this organization, you have Markham, Jeff Weiner was there. You have uh, Lattimore Black, LBMC. They were initial firm. We were initial firm. Alpern was initial firm. Con Litwin was initial firm. And, and these are some firms that were just very entrepreneurial. They were early on and today they're just all you know, mega successes. Yep. Some of them didn't make it like mine. And you know, some of the firms, you know, things had changed in the LEA. But what happened there for a while, and it probably was a decade or so, we had all of us together. We all got to be really close friends. We shared ideas and it just, it just rocketed forward. So um, I, I was the chair for the first nine years, and then uh, the organization has struggled since then. And uh, I guess I take some responsibility because the succession planning didn't work as well as I thought it did. And we made one absolutely major mistake, and the major mistake had to do with the succession and how it worked, and uh, probably the wrong person. And there was some political issues we didn't understand, or not maybe national political issues between countries where he was from. And, other countries you know, didn't like people from there. We didn't understand that being Americans and 
made a bad decision. So the LEA has somewhat struggled. They're still around today. They still have some great firms in there, Cotton Litwin, LBMC, Markham, uh, Bennett Thrasher. So they have a, a, still a strong nucleus of large firms. Yep. No, it's uh, we originally got uh, working with LEA. We started Trimera 15 years ago, I would think two years after we started. Yeah. Uh, when that conference used to be in Chicago at the, oh, oh what hotel was that at? The Doubletree. Yeah, and then the Gibson Steakhouse uh, was always the, uh, everybody always had a great time at that one. That's where I used to get my supply of golf balls for the season from you guys. So. <laughs> oh, I'm glad we could help. I missed that. <laughs> um, all right. All right. So that's a little background. And I think that whole, I, I love that whole opportunity of seeing, hey, there's a need here. The fix isn't there for me. Let's go create this fix. Because that opportunity, the, to, just the, the mindset to be able to see that there's an opportunity to build that. Not everybody sees that. I, I, everybody has an opportunity to do something like that. They just, their eyes aren't open to it. It's, it's like, okay, well, someone else can do it. Someone else can help. And, and you've got that different mindset. Let's make it work, which is awesome. I, I tend to feel I have that as well, but it's nice to see when someone else is coming up with the solutions rather than just identifying the problem. Let's go into, you know, we can touch on this or not, but then in 2014 or beginning of 15, you merged with BDO. It sounds like you stayed around for a couple of years, but then Winding River came about. And I don't know if you want to talk about BDO or go straight into Winding River, whatever you want. Well, BDO was now almost seven and a half years ago that we sold to them. It was quite a learning experience for me for those couple of years. I mean, I'm not a young person. I've been doing this, you know, starting my fifth decade right now. And I like it. I think I can help people and I have a lot of experience to do so. But I, uh, that short period of time when we did the deal and my short stand with BDO afterwards, I really learned a lot about myself. And that was really interesting. But when we ended up selling to BDO, it was very contentious. It wasn't like a slam dunk. And I think we made some huge mistakes. And probably the biggest mistake we made is uh, it was contentious. So it wasn't like there wasn't a kumbaya moment where we all came together and we basically went into this, you know, hating each other. And, uh, and you know, and some people, you know, were really upset because they were, you know, they didn't want this to happen. They were forced into it. Uh, the, you know, the staff certainly had no say so whatsoever into this thing. And all of a sudden, you know, we're part of uh, BDO. You know, it happened um, from a financial standpoint. I think it was an extraordinarily good transaction. Uh, my partners and I all, you know, did well, yep. probably better so than we would have if we would have sold it internally, but it changed our lives. You know, we all kind of, these things happen, the train leaves the station, you don't pay attention to what's happening sometime. And every one of us had been supporting clients that sold out to other companies. And we have all seen this, you know, this movie before, but we, some people didn't think the movie was going to happen to them. And what happened was, I mean, we lost control. We had 100% control. You lose control. So, you, you know, you can't make decisions anymore. You totally lose control, which was difficult. Yep. But it was, uh, you know, the, the, I think the biggest problem for me was, and this is no slam on BDO, uh, but uh, they're just, they were different. Um, they had different clients, okay, and they had different goals. And, uh, and what happened is, given their sheer size, they had to be very bureaucratic, data metric oriented as an organization. And I always considered myself to be more of a people person. And there's just no place for that in a bureaucratic organization. So uh, I found myself, uh, you know, thinking that I could be helpful because they really could, you know, as big as their company was, there's not one person in that company who did what I did. 
Uh, you know, Wayne's been really successful and a lot of them successful, but there's not one person in that firm that took a startup to $100 million. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So I, so I felt I had a skill set that could be really helpful to them. Um, and I was kind of excited about using it. But it, it just it just was a terrible match. I mean, I found myself to being so entrepreneurial and that being so, uh, you know, it was just so bureaucratic. I just yep. eventually had to leave. So I kind of got my way out of there and uh, it, be, it began Winding River. Yeah, it's I, I would see it be pretty hard, you know, going in 30 whatever plus years of being an entrepreneur to being you know, someone who is not in control any longer. I tried that for six months after I sold my practice and, and merged it. Well, we merged in and they bought me out. I tried that, go work for someone else for six months. That didn't work. And I, I just, I couldn't deal with well, it. Well, you know, there the, are different practices. And, uh, you know, I look back at my practice and, you know, I don't know who's going to listen to your, listen to your podcast, but millions. Okay. Well, those millions, <laughs> if they're, uh, you know, you start going below, you know, the, the one through 25 or one through 10 in size of firms, one through 10 for sure. They service different clients that we service. Right. And, and they're not, their relationship is much more of a compliance relationship than it is a, uh, you know, just a personal relationship. Yep. Yep. Right. And uh, so it's very different. And you now in my skill set and our firm skill set was based upon delivering the personal relationship. We were good at it. And here, you know, they're, again, more interested in commodities and things like that. But it was really interesting. The two things that I learned most about it, one was is that uh, is watch what you wish for, kind of. Because what happened with me, my entire, I started working for uh, Touche Ross. And I used to work for the seventh largest firm in the country. ended up, and then I went from seventh to last and then last back to fifth. And I kept wanting to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then once I got in a situation that was so big, I just found out that, how much I kind of more appreciated where I came from. And then the other thing that was just, you know, and I talked to clients about this when they're looking at it, you just have to realize you're just going to lose control. Right. And, you know, you just have to be able to, uh, uh, you know, to sign off on that and, and understand that's going to happen, but you lose control. And you're able to keep some partial control for a short period of time, but it's two years at best. And after that, you lose control. Let's talk about that quick because and we're, I'm going to kind of bypass a few things, but you and I, before we get, went live here, we were talking a little bit about, and I think it's a good time to mix it in here, is the private equity investment in public accounting. Because that kind of, I mean, you yours wasn't private equity, but you've been through a situation. What do you see? Do you have an opinion on what's happening with private equity, good, bad, how it's going to change the profession, anything? Yeah, I have an opinion and, uh, and I have a very strong opinion on it and, uh, it's probably contrary. I'm a, I seem to contrary opinion sometimes, but uh, as to you know where all the hype is and all that, and and really I think the best way to look at that is to look at CBiz as an example. If you look at CBiz, uh, CBiz started out as only accounting firms. All they did was just consolidate accounting firms. They had consolidated I don't even know how many of them, but a significant amount, right. 150, 100 firms. And that's how they started that organization. If you look at CBiz today, CBiz is over a billion dollars in revenues, but but less than 25% of that or so is the CPA practice. The problem is, if you think about this, if you're going to go public, if you're, if you're going to be acquired by a private equity, this is all about enhancing profits. If you can enhance profits, then you could maybe make a return to a shareholder. Or if you're a private equity, you could say the business is more valuable and sell it to somebody else. But what I've always found, it's really hard to enhance revenues in the accounting uh, 
field because it's a personal service business. These people are working, the partners are working and their expectation is, well, if there's extra money made, it's because I earned it and I want that money. So how do you pull that money away? And and what CBIS did, if you remember this, is CBIS basically exchanged stock for cash flow forever. So they said, well, if your cash flow is a dollar, we'll give you $7 today as a capital gain, but we get to keep that dollar forever. So number one is the ability to create enhanced revenues. Now, if some of these firms could move to the advisory area, which is more uh, profitable, you know, the perfect example is go sell a big insurance policy. You get a million dollar premium. You don't get a million dollar premiums doing anything in the accounting business. Um, But uh, it's more profitable. So so it's possible you could create more profits. And that's what CBiz has done. Uh, And their their company's profitability of their company is not being driven by the accounting practice. It's probably being driven by the other side of the world. And then the second element of this, um, um, where Steve has had a problem, and I still think they probably have a problem today, is attracting talent. Everybody has a problem attracting talent. But if you're feeding a public dollars or you're feeding a bottom line for a private equity, what happens is the partners don't make as much money. So you're going to take some young partner who could go work for you know an SSNG or a Conan company or a Skoda Minotti. He can make X, and if he goes does Percibus, does the exact same thing, he can't make as much money. The only people who make that kind of money in those public companies are the C-suite, not right. the workers. So uh, I think it's really challenging to do that. And then uh, we, you know, we talked briefly, all the problems I just talked about, okay? The other side of it is what's the exit strategy on exactly. going forward? You know, so the private equity takes control, and private equities only have, you know, they have three exit strategies. One to sell to another private equity, two to go public and create a public market, or three to sell to potentially a larger private company. So they would take this company and maybe sell it to KPMG or something like that. And those are all tough deals to have, and there's no guarantee on those deals. So um, it's crazy. Um, you know, I talked to my buddy Colton. He's got him calling them left and right. You know, people wanting to go in different sizes, family offices, you know, because of the first couple of deals that were done in the Eisner and Citroen deal. So I don't understand how these things work out in the end. Uh, to me, it's, it's like, can you be smart enough to really take these organizations and enhance the profitability? And if you can, that there's enough profitability to give the partners what they were making and maybe a little bit more, and then enough you know, to create this uh, you know, additional cash flow, then maybe you can make something happen. But that's got to be the goal. Yep. I'm, I'm bored with you. I'm kind of the same thing. I just don't see, I mean, I guess we'll wait and see over the years. I mean, historically, we've had some some pretty bad flops with it. And we've had some somewhat, I mean, CBiz is, you know, for the most part, a success. I mean, I would yeah, say. Well, but, they're a survivor. Yeah. I okay. Mean, you know, I, you know, they're, I think they're, they've done okay and all that. They bought my payroll company. So, uh, you know. so you had a local guy uh, that uh, helped with CBiz, uh, Greg Skoda. You mentioned Skoda before. It, 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 were you familiar with Greg when he was doing this? Oh yeah. They approached us numerous times. Okay. Yeah. Greg was on the show sometime last year where we actually talked about the, the building of CBiz, which I found pretty interesting. Yeah. It was, it was a crazy time. Um, you know, I'm sure he, uh, he has, everybody has different perspectives on what happened there, but. Uh, right. Yep. And you did well, did well with it. And the, the one thing you said is just the whole, you know, personal side of the relationship or kind of alluded to it with, with when you're running your firm, you know, compared to private equity coming in and that's more of an impersonal, you know, space, at least to me, how I see it. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's a good point too. And uh, I've had some dealings with some of these private equity in the last couple months 
And uh, I don't want to say it. Um, I don't want to say that they're very focused, uh, you know, more so focused than how to run these businesses and these CPAs who are running these businesses today. And, uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, they're, they're, they can be pretty tough and not that they shouldn't be, you know, maybe that's how they're successful, but it's just not typically what you'll see in the CPA. Yep. You know, they're kind of, uh, you know, their, their characteristics and attitudes and things like that. All right. Well, let's, let's transition. I just thought that was a good time to talk about that. Let's, but let's transition quick. Cause I want to hear about winding river, but I want to hear, you know, what are the, what are the key things that, you know, winding river you're consulting with firms and you're advising firms and you can explain it better, but what are the key things that you're seeing that firms are dealing with now that winding river goes in and helps them with? You know, what happened was I had a ghostwriter, Marsha Lease. And Marsha tells me, she says, you know, you know more about running an accounting firm than anybody I've ever met. I've been in the industry forever. Did you ever think about teaching people how to do that? And it was like, wow, that's really an interesting thought. Um, so um, I did start thinking about it. And what that was is that was the genesis of, of a leadership development program that we started. And we're in our sixth year called Managing Partner Bootcamp. Probably a misnomer on the name. It's not only managing partners. It could be people on the executive committee. It could be people who are going to be managing partners. It could be people running an office. Uh, but we're looking for senior leadership type people. So using that as a uh, springboard, what I did is I developed this course called Managing Partner Bootcamp. Um, I'm a big exercise person. So it's a bootcamp. So we do the exercise. We have a military trainer. And we talk about as things about your personal health as well. But while we've divided the course into really four sections, we talk about human capital, we talk about growth, we talk about practice management, and then we talk about skills. And uh, we teach 16 classes and you know, there's every one of those fits in there somewhere. There may actually be more than 16 classes. And it goes over uh, two, three day periods of time, spring and fall and fall and spring. Um, and it's been great. Uh, to date, we've had 100 people graduate. Um, we have struggled, honestly, building this thing. And then this year, uh, we have uh, a class coming in, uh, in May, which we have 10 people in already. We still have two months before, so we'll probably sell out. And then our October class, uh, we have nine people out of 12. So that's almost sold out. And then we're, uh, we're going to be expanding to uh, Amsterdam and Europe uh, this coming year. Well, we'll have an announcement later in the year, but Winding River Consulting will now will be in Europe effective uh, sometime this year. Um, we got breaking news here. Yeah, nice. we have breaking news. So we work on that for a while. So that was really the springboard for the class that we did. And then uh, what I do, um, you know, what I don't like doing is I don't like the airplanes. I don't like the one and dones. I'm not a great person to come in. I'm probably a very capable person to come in and, and facilitate a firm retreat but I don't like it. Uh, what I like doing is I like working with firms on a regular basis. So I have about a half a dozen firms or so that they have advisory boards that we meet on a regular basis, you know, anywhere from two to four times a year. You know, we follow progress. Uh, they become accountable to the advisory board. Um, you know, we help them make their decisions at a higher level. And I think that's my best use as a, uh, as a consultant is to be able to work with these firms and, uh, you know, I'd even probably more than six, There's probably eight or nine firms right now. So that keeps me pretty busy. Um, and then we do some special projects. Uh, one of the largest, uh, we, we just had a very, very large engagement that kind of popped out of nowhere uh, that I was working with the private equity and looking at the space and helping them understand the space. So projects like that we do. 
And then uh, I added my colleague, David Toth, about two years ago. David's now my partner, and uh, David focuses on digital marketing. He is incredibly busy. And, uh, and you know, part of what we're, we talk about today is, uh, you know, we, we look at growth strategy and we, we really narrow it down to three elements. One is your traditional element, uh, relationship building. The second is the digital side of it. And then the third is M&A side of it. And M&A, I mean, there's not a lot of people helping people understand how to do that. You know, I can help people with that. So could, uh, I don't execute the M&A generally, but we've done a couple, but that's not really what we do. But we help them on the strategy part. And then David works out with firms on developing the digital strategy, which is focusing on LinkedIn strategy to hire people, looking at their websites, traffic to the websites, content within the websites. And then we'll help clients with their new websites. We don't do that work. We'll contract that out to somebody else, but we'll be the, uh, we'll orchestrate those uh, type of things. So that's pretty much what we're doing. Uh, Jeanette Schwartz has been with me at SS&G. So we've been together, I don't even know how long, 15 years. And she's very helpful. We brought in another woman named Katie Martin. She helps us with our social media. So there's four of us there full time. We're actually looking to hire a fifth consultant because we're so busy. And then uh, uh, we have about five or six or seven contractors who work with us, just depending upon what the need is. So, um, you know, we, we're, uh, we have a conference coming up in two weeks. I don't know when this is going to go in the year, but in two weeks we have a conference. Yeah, the, the conference will have happened by the time this is released, but uh, it's good to let people know for sure. Well, we're going to, if it's successful, we'll do it again, but we're doing one on digital, uh, digital marketing, limited to 25 people. It's already sold out. And then uh, we had tried to put together a conference last year, this Winning Ways conference that uh, was going to be like called the newer version of Winning is Everything, shorter, right. more focused. And then uh, all planned, and it was actually going pretty well. We had about 125 people uh, around, and then Omicron showed up, and we just couldn't pull it off. Uh, too many people. Were yeah, it was supposed to be, I think, doing some roundtable or something with Alan Colton at that. So I was disappointed that that didn't happen. Yes. But. So, so we are lo- we are looking to relaunch this year. It's going to be early November. It's going to be in Atlanta, most likely, and it's, it's only going to be limited to 70 people and. Uh, Topic is going to be contemporary issues, focusing on really four different elements for a couple hours. But having, you know, world class people who really know what they're talking about with right. those specific areas, talking about human capital, marketing, uh, management, and uh, M and A. So we'll you know, probably technology too. So we'll we'll be talking about that. So you know that that's coming down the road. All right. So Winding River overall firm, management firm, you know, succession plan firm, strategic growth firm, you know, even digital marketing type. So that you, that's what you're revolving around right. is making the firm better. Yeah. It's, you know, leadership development for your most high level leaders. We don't teach the whole firm. We're not good at that. Um, it's digital marketing. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, you know, some consulting advisory type work, but we're looking to do that on a, uh, continuum basis with the firm. We're not looking to come in and do a firm retreat and say goodbye. Right. I'll see you in three years. Right. I want to see progress. I mean, I, I, I did this. I had those retreats and I stopped having them because we just never showed progress. It was kind of like, oh, that's really interesting, but you really didn't formulate plans. You weren't executing plans. You were maybe updating some of your partners on what's going on. So I, I'm much more about uh, you know, really combining strategy and execution. And uh, that was only maybe, you know, a piece of the strategy side, not the whole strategy side. 
Well, I think I think obviously you can advise on this building the firm from zero to one hundred million dollars and you know, over your career, and and so I'm I'm guessing you have a lot to share. I, I what I found out today in our conversation, you and I have a lot in common. Um, I, I agree on the private equity. I agree on not doing the things you don't like, just concentrate the things on you like and the things you're good at and things you're passionate about. Cause I do the exact same thing that you were saying. Uh, and we, I found out we share a birthday. Oh. So we have a lot in common. May 2nd? So, really? May 2nd. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yep. I got, uh, well, by the time this is released, I'll probably will have hit my 60th birthday already. So this is the big year for me on that one. Well, I, 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 it only goes downhill from then, but uh, I'm going to be on my, my, uh, my coming birthday, which will actually be 69. I'm going to be at uh, uh, the BDO Alliance Conference. I'm actually doing a keynote there on my birthday. So Awesome. Next year's a big one for me. I, I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm going to be hanging out with BDO a day. <laughs> Hopefully be in, uh, you know, on a, somewhere at a little, uh, you know, get away in Italy or something like that. All right. Well, nice. But, but, but with that, we're going to wrap it up here in a second. But based on what you just said, I may know one of your answers, but tell me what the things you like to do when you're not out consulting, working, what are your, your fun, your passions outside of work? Well, I like to travel. I mean, my wife and I, I don't even know how many countries we've been to, 35 or 40 countries. Yep. Uh, the most recent before the pandemic, we were in uh, that one year, we were in Israel for a while and, and we were also in, uh, in South Africa two separate trips. And we've been to the Galapagos and we've been to Australia and New Zealand. So we like to travel. Um, obviously that really uh, was impacted the last couple of years. And, yep. you know, right now, who knows where we're at with the craziness that's going on right now. Um, so I like to do that. And then uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we start, we started coming to Florida before that we were going to California, but we actually have a place in the Naples area. So we're down here during the winter um, you know, in some ways, in the consulting ways of the world, this this whole Zoom the Zoom thing has actually been better for me. Yep. I don't want to travel, so I could do most of it. You know, these meetings through a Zoom calls, so that actually is good for me. Um, I play golf. Um, I used to be good. Now I'm not so good. I just <laughs> before this call, I was trying to get good again, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, practicing a little bit, and then I have uh, for my I have. Uh, uh, two kids, both live in Chicago, and I have three grandkids. One of them is new. Uh, Aubrey Jane was just born February 10th. We were Congratulations. Up there for, yeah, we were up there for 22 days for that, for, awesome. uh, between that and some other, other birthdays that are going on. Nice. So th- that's what I kind of do, and I'm a big sports fan. Uh, I, I like to say that I, I think I'm one of the few people alive who actually went to the 1964 Browns championship game against Baltimore and won 27 to nothing. And I actually went to the last game in Cleveland in 2016 that they won before they uh, finished out uh, uh, Golden State and uh, Golden State's uh, on their uh, oh, right. property. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I was at both of the last Cleveland championship games and, I was really happy with 16 because I didn't think I was ever going to get another one. I just didn't think, I didn't, I didn't think the Cavaliers could ever be Golden State. It happened. Well, 16 was good for me. Maybe not for Cubs, you, but Cubs won in 16. <laughs> well, I, you know, I was at that game um, in, uh, and uh, we were sitting in the club section. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, or you'll remember this, but uh, Cleveland was losing six to four. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it was the eighth inning. And uh, Rajay Davis came up and, uh, Near the end of his career, kind of a pinch hitter. You had that uh, Chapman on the mound, yep. threw the ball 100 miles an hour, and Rajay uh, hit a uh, hit, he hit a fastball, and it, it, it exited the stadium faster than anything I could ever remember in my life. I can picture every moment of that hit. 
it, it tied the score at six to six. Yep. Okay. It, okay. If you go back and look at the, uh, the tape before that, the pitch before that, he hit a foul ball uh, over the first base into right field. And uh, my grandson, Max, has that ball. Nice. That's awesome. We, we, I caught the ball before he hit the home run to tie it at 6-6. Six to six. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that, is, that is part of history yeah. there. Nice. Yeah. So I do like, I do like the sports. And, uh, All right. All right. Well, well, Gary, this has been great. If anybody wants to find out more about you or, or Winding River, where would they get more information? Uh, just go to our website. Uh, you can connect to us, Winding River Consulting. And, uh, if we can help, we'd be happy to have a discussion. I, can't, I couldn't think of anybody better at helping on uh, the things that you've gone through already and, and being able to advise on that and help other firms grow is awesome. So I want to thank you again for being here. I had a great time. Hopefully you did too. Okay. Thanks, Randy. We'll, we'll talk soon, hopefully. Thank you for joining us today. And you can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode where we'll be going beyond compliance into forging new pathways of delivering value to clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and leading edge management techniques and styles.